I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Joey Lee. And we love to watch. We love to watch Raw. And not the Eddie Murphy one. don't like to watch daddy Murphy one have you watched that's the one that's recently? like half homophobia right oh yeah that is i mean <laughs> delirious is pretty bad but raw is like oh so i did 10 minutes of gay panic jokes what if i do a half hour in special number two <laughs> how about he does an actually funny one and calls it filtered joey welcome <laughs> back yes hello I'm happy to be here, and I think that Eddie Murphy's Raw is both more problematic and funnier than Delirious. The problematic race is a race to the bottom. I don't remember. I haven't watched them in both a long time. But I remember in high school finding Delirious much more funny. I watched them both on a plane a little while ago just because I had the DVDs. Um, and there's the stuff at the end where, like, Eddie's dad made them eat their Christmas toys because he could only afford food or Christmas toys. And then he starts, like, imitating the temptations as he yells at them. It's just hilarious to me. I forget what part. I just remember the ice cream bit from Delirious finding pretty funny. And all of him, like, all of his impressions of, like, all the different musical groups of the time, like James Brown and Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder. and But... Again, <laughs> sandwich between some uh, overt homophobia. Uh, Wait, do you guys want to talk about Eddie Murphy's Raw instead? That, you know what? We I, did, did, I said we, it we as knocked a joke. It out. Well, you, can, you can title this episode uh, Raw and Raw. Uh, okay, I just gosh. wanted to defend it a little bit because there are parts of it that I find very hilarious, but they aren't, um, they aren't the homophobic parts or the racist parts. Um, so... but that's okay (laughs) my boyfriend and i frequently do his impression of his wife saying to him funny eddie but like in this really (laughs) annoyed way because she's tired of her husband making jokes (laughs) i enjoy it 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 communicates a lot when we say it to each other (laughs) uh yeah that's great well we'll remember that for tonight we'll we'll say funny joey if we yeah that'll That'll give me a complex. <laughs> no, we will we'll not do that. But no, we're, we're so happy to welcome Joey Lee back. Uh, if you've never heard us before, uh, we're We Love to Watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme and we do about four movies. Or how about we just say a month's worth of movies around yeah. that theme? However many Tuesdays are in a given month. Uh, and sometimes, if we remember, we compare and contrast. And we are on our second week of The Family That Eats Together stays together month it's a month about cannibals uh cannibal families cannibal families it's a topic idea we had it's good it's a lot of good movies i'm excited to talk about yeah and we got sick of doing uh kill billy's movies so yeah. uh yeah it's like a sister like a, like a you know how uh some towns have sister towns i guess mm-hmm. uh this is like that but for uh movie themed podcast months it's important to eat a balanced movie diet yes uh, yeah, but it's our second week. We're covering the movie uh, Raw 2017. If you're in the United States, I believe it came out uh, in France in 2015, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, no, I think 16. But 16? Yeah. It's one of those things where like IMDb and Letterboxd has it at 2015. This, those fucking festival dates. It's like nowadays movies that are independent releases come out within somewhere in a three-year time span. It's very hard to get a date. But yeah. uh, yes, it is uh, as... 
we will talk about later on. It is uh, next year. It's one of our favorite movies uh, of the year. It's definitely one of my favorite horror movies of 2017. Uh, We're going to talk about it more uh, in a second and why we're doing it for this month and why Joey's our guest. But first, Joey, why don't you quickly reintroduce yourself to our audience? I have three more interesting things about myself. All right. uh, My name is Joey Lee. Um, I study film uh, and how political film can um, affect people's perceptions of the issues and perhaps policy. Um, My three interesting things. I was one of the only people to see Donnie Darko when it was originally released in theaters. It was a little bit after my 16th birthday, which is 9-11. And I was with my first boyfriend ever. Uh, And we loved it so much, we stayed um, after, as the credits rolled, um, talking to other people about how great um, Donnie Darko was and what the hell we just watched afterwards. And then it was several years of convincing people to watch it, where it took a lot of convincing, and then everyone else got on the the, um, cult hit um, after that. And then I also have a bunch of weird friendships that just revolve around watching Donnie Darko together. Um, so I am like a super fan, um, as cliche. It's so fun it's... to be the evangelical, you know, soapbox for these kind of movies. It's so fun to be able to like, like, all right, this is coming. If you don't check, if you don't make a little bit of effort, you're never going to see it. And then Donnie Darko ended up blowing up. Like, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Donnie Darko is a very weird movie, too, because I feel like I discovered it, too, uh, when it came on DVD and I was very evangelical about it, showing it to my friends and freshman year in college. It was like that and it was Fight Club and it was like these movies that were like Requiem for a Dream, like, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's blowing yeah. my mind. And I did Donnie Darko and uh, Fight Club and probably a couple others were movies that then like in the 2010s when – I think movie like cinephiles that I knew online, it became kind of a joke like, oh, you're one of those people that like Donnie Darko yeah. or Fight Club that I kind of like – I kind of receded from it. I'm like, oh, yeah. No, it's probably not that good of a movie. And then I rewatched it a couple years ago. I'm like, you know what? I don't need to – I don't need to second guess my love of movies. Like – Yeah. Even if Donnie Darko may not be the most um, – uh, it's not Tarkovsky, but it is a fucking enjoyable movie and I – Richard Kelly is a very interesting director. So, Yeah. Donnie Darko is good. I feel like it um, suffered a little bit from like Darren Aronofsky system where like Richard Kelly releasing the director's cut. Oh, yeah. Like with explaining too much. And like, yes, I know about how the the time travel mythology and like the alternate universes in his mind works because like I am that much of a super fan of it. But it's also just a really one. It's a really incisive look at mental illness. And it's also a really enjoyable like catcher in the rye-esque satire of 80s materialism right so like it's enjoyable at a lot of levels you don't really have to buy into his whole alternate you know it's not it's not necessary to accept that as the only interpretation just because he tells you that it's an interpretation now very quick super fan question we'll move on because i know we have a lot to talk about did you ever go to the website to try to figure out the secrets back in like 2001 yeah, definitely, because I had one friend that I would just watch Donnie Darko with, and we didn't have the director's cut yet, and he was like, hey, the website's really in-depth and contains, like, passages from this fictional book that doesn't exist. Yeah, so, but you had to, like, yeah. click certain yeah. – every page was, like, a puzzle. <laughs> yeah. I remember doing this, like, in my dorm's computer lab at 3 in the morning, just, like – and then I, I – 
I got into some sort of loop where I wasn't getting new information. I wasn't sure if it was because I couldn't figure out what was next or I'd run out of website. Yeah. So, I, so I just kept like doing it uh, over and over. And I'm like, okay, I guess I spent an, a half hour trying to find a new page. And I, 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 I think I was a little young for this, maybe, because I, I do not remember doing this at all. But it sounds kind of rad. It sounds like a House of Leaves style almost like experimental storytelling thing it's it yeah sounds really neat it is yeah. and it was back when like websites really were like yeah hey some are gonna do some crazy like some are like, gonna it be really ex- rewards ex- extreme rabbit hole diving yeah and some are gonna be like an extension of the movie i remember a lot of websites and like now if you hear that you roll your eyes but back then it was like there can be more to the movie than the movie yeah <laughs> um, and i remember there was a terrible movie i believe called the devil inside that ended the movie on a cliffhanger and then told you to go to a website for the resolution of the movie. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. I read about that. <laughs> so it can it can go the other way where you're sure. like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we paid money to go to a theater to watch this movie. What the fuck are you doing? Oh, my God. Did you guys ever see the ending to Devil Inside? The Inside Devil, whatever it's called? Yeah, terrifying. 404 gateway not found. <laughs> <laughs> They've all disappeared, I think, is what it means. Yeah, I think yeah, I think if Donnie Darko wasn't enjoyable on like a satirical level and, you know, on a, you know, mental illness analysis level. And also like when I showed it to my mom, she was like, this is a Jesus narrative. If it wasn't enjoyable on all those other levels, I don't think we would have gone looking right. But we loved it. So we wanted to find like deep meaning in it. And, you know, even if you don't buy into that deep meaning, you can just be like, oh. Mental illness sucks. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Right. All right, number two. We're, we're definitely okay. we do Donnie Darko. We're definitely going to have to have you on. I know. Oh yeah, you have to. Um, uh, okay, number two is um, you know the mo- the new movie um, film spotting that just came out. Uh, I have heard of it. I've not seen it. Oh, okay. Um, I actually haven't seen it either. I just have a cool detail about it. Um, so it's David Diggs from Hamilton and Blackish. Yep. Um, and Raphael Casal, um, who's his friend, they both went to my high school, um, my, and as well as um, they were in the same class or close to the same class as Andy Samberg, who actually also went there, um, which was around when my big brother went there. Uh, but anyway, so um, my mom uh, directed a like Hispanic education oriented daycare center when I was very young. Um, and it turns out Rafael Casal went to that daycare center and he wrote it into the movie. So, um, there's, we just found out that there's like a little shout out, um, to her like daycare center, um, Hispanic education nonprofit, um, called Centro Vida or Project Vida. And he, and, uh, Rafael Casal's character apparently sends his kid there in the movie blind spotting. And it's a little detail, but it's sort of cool. Awesome. I've heard that's uh, I've heard it's a really good movie. I've been excited to see it. Um, yeah, me too. There's a theater in California. There's the California Theater in Berkeley. It only has three screens, and right now they're playing um, Blind Spotting, Sorry to Bother You, and Black Klansmen. It's like the racial, racial justice theater right now. Well, I've only seen Sorry to Bother You, and it's my favorite movie of the year, so I so wish good. I would go to that theater if I could. So. I know. I saw it twice. I saw it with coworkers on opening day. It was awesome. Third thing uh, is uh, once uh, for my job, I work, I've, I've always worked in food and advocacy. At this time, I was working more in um, kids cooking um, for the Meatless Monday campaign. I set up a panel at the um, School Nutrition Association conference, um, and Jamie Oliver, the celebrity chef, was filming Food Revolution Season 2. 
he sent me a release so that I could be on the show because he was planning to come to the panel that I was doing. Um, and then we also arranged for Lori David, the ex-wife of Larry David, who is not so um, not so thinly veiled as Cheryl Hines on that show. Yeah. She also produced An Inconvenient Truth, so she's quite the environmental advocate. And um, she slept she does, with Al Gore, right? Uh, yes, actually, we had a pretty good joke about that. <laughs> um, we said that um, someone said in our office, like, oh, actually, Al Gore is not unattractive. And then someone else said, what an inconvenient truth for uh, for Larry David. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she uh, she was possibly going to come to the panel. Um, she does a lot encouraging families to eat dinner together. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had been working with our campaign. She, she should guest on this podcast this month. She's great. Oh my God. No, <laughs> I can't, I can't in good conscience connect you to her people with your cannibalism month. I don't think that she would but like it's that about very much. Families, families, Joey. The family that eats together. together, eats each other. So she showed up, um, at the last moment, Jamie Oliver had a meeting, uh, with the executive director of the California School Nutrition Association. So he did not actually come to that one. He had expressed interest in another one on um, chocolate milk, which is like a very hot button issue in the kids nutrition world. Uh, And he did go to it. And in the show, they ended up blurring out the presenters faces and the ones they used, which is all like crazy exaggeration because they sent him the same form I got asking them to sign to release to use the rights um, to use that guy's image so it was all sort of they sort of used blurry face to make a moment more dramatic than it actually was <laughs> when he it's came like to, all those uh, it's like yeah. all those YouTube videos that replace normal words with like beeps yeah right it sounds so scandalous now and yeah. in, in reality it was like Jamie Oliver was like sc- people who go to a school nutrition conference are like lunch ladies that are and, and, you know, um, administrators who are like working on a very tight budget who like really want to get kids the best, you know, school lunches possible. Um, and then they edit it within the episode to be this like contentious thing. But in reality, Jamie Oliver was super sweet. Um, I did get to talk to him at the Q&A. Uh, they didn't use that part for the show, probably because it was too positive. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, it was. And and then after I asked him the question about Meatless Monday and answered it, his people passed a card to me wanting my contact info. Well, once again. Yes. We've learned, Joey, much cooler than us. Yes. Um, this time I like brainstormed. I was like, what are some. Oh, last time, like, you meeting. know, the first time it was just yeah. cool stories. This time you're just rubbing our nose. In yeah, it. Oh, that's yeah. Right. No, uh, last time I just had the Danny DeVito cat. I did. A real permanent off the cuff. Now yep. I had to think about how cool I was. I did. Um, I had to search the archives of my brain. Well, joke's on you, Joey, because trying hard is the least cool thing you can do. That's true. And according to The Simpsons, no, so it's real. this time you failed <laughs> very, very terribly. The first time you were I definitely frequently cool do. Though. At least uh, I know so, I'm not a hipster. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you so much again for coming on. So, so we were always going to do or raw this month, or had been on our list. And actually, I think it actually was off our final list for a little bit, Peter, because we were like, you know, 
we talk about recent movies rarely, and this is really recent. And, you know, we make exceptions sometimes if there's something that we're really passionate or really excited about, like we did with Shape of Water or High Rise. But I think one thing that our, helps our podcast or that we feel more comfortable talking about movies have been released for a little bit and have some cultural context besides just uh, – What's on everyone's mind uh, based on based on the recency? So we were like, let's save Raw. We'll find another time to do Raw because we both really love Raw. Uh, Peter and I were – I remember when we first watched it, I think within a couple days of each other and we're texting back and forth. And then, of course, we were doing our um, Lady Fright Night month last month in October. Joey was part of that group and had wanted to do Raw. And we said, you know what? Because we're so excited to have all these guests on – uh, why don't we get another slot open for October and move Raw back into the roster for our uh, The Family That Eats Together month so that we can have more people talking about movies they're passionate about, which is kind of the whole point of our show. So we're, we're always happy to accommodate that. So, And we also get to have a great slate of guests spill over into the next month. So yeah. we're lucky either way. Aw, thank you. I think what we've learned here today is everyone's a winner. Yay! Uh, so, uh, before we get into the movie proper, just like we did last month, we want to talk a little bit to Joey, or let Joey tell us, I should say, why did you want to do this movie? Why was uh, this movie important to you, or just your general sense of uh, why you're like, this is not a movie that can just sit idle? I, I need to talk about this. Yeah, um, so I'm, um, I don't know if I still count as a horror novice. Uh, I was, as I, I mentioned last time when I was on about matinee, I didn't grow up with a lot of horror movies um, because they scare my parents. Um, but I really like this sort of new suspense laden indie horror genre that's really thrived in the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Um, I love, and I love especially, um, especially as someone who is sort of obsessed with mainstream movies, weaving in different political messages. Um, I love how they've taken so many things that are regressive about some classic horror movies and like turn them on their head to make a grand feminist statement. And I think this includes Raw, and I'll get more into details about um, my feelings there. Uh, but yeah, I think that to, just to tease them, I think that Raw is about how we underestimate female sexuality. And I think it makes that pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, and I also think it references a mental illness I actually have. Um, and I, I'm, you might not have gotten that. So I'm glad that I'm the guest for it because I'll definitely be talking about trichotillomania, um, which is uh, linked to OCD when you have the compulsion to pull out your own hair. And uh, I don't have this one, derma, dermatomania. Uh, there's the same thing, but for skin picking called dermatillomania. Um, I don't have that one, so I can't pronounce it, you see, uh, which is about picking off your skin. But I know I know a bunch of people who have it. Um, so I find that really fascinating, uh, the way it that's rarely talked about in movies, either of those conditions. But both of them exist in about 1% of the population each. Um, so I'm excited to talk about that as well. And I also just love the movie. I knew it would be a cannibalism movie. I didn't expect it to be one of the most fascinating portrayals of hazing rituals at veterinary schools that yeah. exists. Like that's It's so specific in its setting and the setting adds to the story and like, both mood and specific plot um, and for specific plot reasons. And I think that makes it 
really amazing and like nothing else. And there'll probably never be another movie like Raw where you just have like, you know, fully grown horses getting knocked out and being hung up. It's pretty much amazing on every level. And uh, let's see, I saw it earlier this year, about six months ago, and then I just rewatched it yesterday for this podcast. Um, and every year I do the 52 um, movies by women challenge and it and I rank them as I go. And, um, you know, into the year, like 26 movies in, I'm a little behind. Um, it's still the best female directed movie I've seen this year. Awesome. All so correct. And I want to dive into like every part of that, especially the part where you talked about um, the the new a sort of surge of these indie horror and how it lets um, all these different voices sort of step forward um, and have and have that sort of political voice be a a feature and not, uh, you know, as a producer would see it as a bug. Because in a lot of uh, genre work has always been political. All, all work is political, but often the politics would have to be a little buried, get past the, the money men. But like in something like this, it's a feature. But yeah, very excited to, as well to talk about uh, Trichlomania. Trichlomania, yeah. Trichlomania. Or I think it's Trichlomania. It's fine. I can't pronounce the skin one after all. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm uh, Aaron and I will mispronounce it a hundred times. You can just say me. You can say I will mispronounce it. <laughs> We're a unit. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's often known as trick. So that's easier, right? That's like slang. Yeah, yeah. trick. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I can like, do that. Oh, yeah. I got trick, which could either mean a sweet Ollie or either way, it's going to be fun to talk about. But but thank you so much for grabbing this one up, because I love when we find a movie that had like a certain resonance with people and it wasn't just like, I thought this was cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did think this was cool, but I hope yeah, I know <laughs> this movie's cool. How dare you say it's not cool, Peter? Uh, <laughs> it's cool on top of everything else. Although yes, it does yes. try and care, unlike the yeah. Simpsons definition. And one more thing real quick, the 52 Films by Women thing. Last year, I was uh, doing it and I was like, fuck, I was like November and I was like, fuck, I'm only at like 30. And then when I went back through and I was like, oh, wait, this movie was directed by a woman. Oh, wait, this movie was directed by a yeah. woman. Oh, wait. And it was this and uh, something else where I was like, the, the director was saying in an interview, basically, she was like, I want people to see this and resonate with my voice because I'm a human being, not necessarily for anything else. And I love that you can read this film from a feminist perspective. You could read this film from a, a vegan perspective. Uh, Rick Kelly wrote a really great piece about this. There's just a lot of really, really um, dense layers to the thing. Definitely. I don't want to detract from the feminist message, and that's very prevalent. And we're going to be talking nope. about that a lot. But I also feel like this has a lot to say about siblings in general. Yeah. I feel like it has a lot to say about that feeling of going off to college and how all your relationships seem different now that you don't have like parents you need to go back to every night and like how that really fucks up the way you think about a lot of things like i feel like the first year of college for a lot of people even people that you know didn't do anything like i don't know eat their sister's finger um i do feel like a lot of like you have a lot of confusing relationships because there's no more artificial boundaries um, there's no more parental boundaries. There's no more. It's just like it changes the way you look at everything. So I, I think um, this has a lot of uh, interesting things to say about like women's sexuality. But I also think that um, it has a lot to say about just everyone trying to figure out who the fuck they are when they go off to college 
and become separated from their families. And then also like wondering if like, oh, is this the person I am? Is this the person I like that I am? Am I overdoing the person that I am? Like, and then like the, almost feeling scared of like, oh shit, is this me without restrictions? Uh, so I, I just, this movie has 20 different things to say, I think. And I just, I love I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about. The other thing, though, before we get into the movie specifically that I forgot, Joey, um, until you mentioned it just moments ago, is that uh, this also feels much like Rick Kelly. Uh, This feels like, uh, based on what you do for a living, a very interesting choice as well. Um, Because of the food stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, so myself, I'm not a vegetarian even, um, but at one point I said that I probably know I probably spend more time thinking about what vegetarians and vegans want than any other non-vegetarian because I was <laughs> they want plants. Yeah, well you bet because I was a a, a a meatless Monday recipe editor for 5 years and I my roommates are vegetarians and my boyfriend's a pescatarian so he can only do fish. Um and he does dairy too. Um, and yeah, I cooked dinner after watching this movie yesterday afternoon and like there was raw chicken involved and I was like, and it definitely didn't stay raw, but I was pretty, it was a little icky, you know, I was like, I need to eat before the movie starts. I can't eat when the movie is happening. So I ate during the movie because wow. I kind of forgot because I just needed a snack Sure, and I ate a about, I grabbed food. It was a rewatch for me, but I hadn't seen it. Right. I grabbed food right before the uh, bikini wax scene. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's already in my mouth. Like, I'm already, I'm already <laughs> yeah. taking. I didn't stop, but I did go. I did get for a second like, oh, I'm, I'm making myself sick. I don't know what why I'm still eating. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm usually pretty, I'm usually pretty good uh, about that stuff. Like one, when we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is, of course, about cannibal chili, uh, I purposefully made chili that night because I was like, oh, that movie's got uh, cannibal chili in it. I should make chili for dinner. <laughs> it usually doesn't bother me. But for this movie, yeah, I was eating, I was eating a sandwich while I was eating, <laughs> while I was watching it. And I was like, you know, maybe later, maybe I'll do this later. Uh Quick question though: Did you did you pause the movie or the sandwich? The sandwich was paused, <laughs> um, but eventually there was just like a fun hanging out scene, and I was like, "Okay, we can we can do this again." All right, sandwich, come yeah. come to daddy, which shows you how I I deal with uh, how long impact stays with me. <laughs> this is like how, but what my boyfriend took so long to learn that he shouldn't eat dinner while he watched the TV show version of Hannibal. And it's like, I don't know how this took multiple episodes. Like, don't do it. That's not a good one for, like, I just made dinner. Like, what am I going to watch during it? No, no. The problem is if you're eating anything hot, you're like, well, I don't want yeah. it to. Like, I'm eating this at the per- – right. I waited till it was cooled down enough. Like, yeah. I'll just, you know, I'll have some weird dreams tonight. It'll be fine. I have a habit of, like, down. of needing to eat – needing to watch something while I eat. And then preparing dinner and I've like cooked it for a million hours. And then like there's a streaming problem connected to whatever service I'm using. And then I have to like mess with it for like 20 minutes before it works. (laughs) And I'm like, why do I do this? (laughs) Uh, So without further ado, I think that we should continue to talk about the movie. Raw. Recording this way early, so I have no idea who is 
alternate taglines and who is quick recap and also full disclosure we're uh we're recording this two months before the election that just happened last week so if we sound like we're in a good mood uh it's unrelated to what happened last tuesday so if you're like those people should sound a little more bummed i think it's because we're it's a temporal conundrum we don't we don't know what's happened we're living in a, a schrodinger's podcast i hope everyone <laughs> voted yeah. I feel like you're God. over-preparing for defeat. I just... Is it I mean, because maybe, of last time? Uh, because that would make sense. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> is it because of that trauma we all we all experienced yeah, two years th- ago? That, that has had ripple effects in our lives. <laughs> um, if things went really well, go, we won! Yeah, you can edit this uh, whole part out. Because, yeah. Because okay, of course we're in good spirits. We're in, we're uh, I'll have a polite golf clap if we won. And an impolite golf clap <laughs> if we didn't. Yeah. Just do, uh, someone goes, hey, how about that election last week? And if it goes well, it's. And if it goes poorly, it's, how about that election last week? And then, hey, let's pretend as if the election never happened. And then the rest of the episode. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. Peter, do you want to do, what do you want to do? I, this is going to be an out of order alternate taglines quick recap. I have I can do both. No, just do alternate taglines. Well, you have to help me then. Night of the Living with Roommates. Uh, different than WWE Raw considerably. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, or it's just a normal tagline. It's important to experiment in college. Uh, there is one raw dog. <laughs> <laughs> Run to there, the hills. A, yeah, there's a literal raw dog. Uh, yeah. Okay. Joey, do you have any to add to this? Um, I was thinking of when your gay male roommate is a better big sister than your cannibal sister. <laughs> yeah, she's the worst. She is. I forgot how much I hated Me her. Me too. Until the, 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 the morgue scene or whatever. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, that's right. Fuck her. No, I know. And it, this is going to sound like an actual criticism of the the whole movie, but I kind of hate every character in this movie, except for, like, the mom and dad and that one nurse that one uh, nurse that helps her out with her Oh, rash. yeah. She's I'm pretty great. sure the mom is a monster, too. I like the main character just fine, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't really like her. Um, I like her friend. We'll Yo, I remember the first time her I roommate. watched the movie i was like this is such a realistic sister relationship in that there's so much tension here yes but then the first time you watch it you're like oh man she's a bitch she's really hot and cold but then the second time you know she's a monster because you know that she knows (laughs) everything from the beginning but i had completely forgotten we can do spoilers here right yeah yes yes Uh, i completely forgotten she went to jail so i totally forgot about like any justice being served and i totally forgot the morgue scene like even though i it's only been like a year and a half since i uh, since i've seen it I was like when they're at the club and she's being crazy and I'm like, I felt relief again that like big sister was stepping in to like, she's out of control. She's having a little bit of a meltdown. This is someone who knows exactly what she's going through. She's here to help. Yeah. I forgot. It got me twice. I forgot that she makes it a million times worse. Yeah. She's a a bad big sister. That antipathy that happens between siblings is weirdly enough something that I I don't have with my brother. I'm very close with my brother. 
but at least you get to experience it. Yeah, let's let's save that. Let's let's go through the plot because I have a lot to say about. I have a lot to say about it too. Yes, yes. Okay, so it's basically the story of so Justine is going to college for the first time. She is a vegetarian. Her family does not eat meat so much so that her mother panics and goes to yell at the chef. Uh, their last dinner before they drop her off at college um, when they when she finds a meatball in her rice. Um, so fast forward, we're at flash. Fast can you forward. do that? Can you talk about meatballs with an accent just real quickly? Oh, it's a spicy meatball. Sorry, continue. But, Thank but you. Too spicy for this family, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, and, and that it'll make her eat people. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyways. They go to college. The sister, uh, her big sister, it's a veterinarian college. Apparently, she is very bright, as was her mom and her sister. Her sister is older, Alexia. She doesn't even come to greet the parents. Uh, but they start seeing them during kind of this hazing week that happens. Um, and as as uh, Joey mentioned, it's, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, hazing week at a vet college. A lot of animal blood. A lot of eating animal related stuff. It's very animal theme they uh they don't think outside the box uh it's just like well we have all these animal parts let's use this in our uh terrible rituals it's a pretty plausible um, way to get a vegetarian in the plot to eat meat despite not wanting to very much oh it's very plausible um so she does eat this um some sort of kidney i think like a rabbit kidney kidney. it was a rabbit Rabbit kidney. kidney um and meanwhile, she also has a roommate named Adrian, who is uh, who is gay, and they be- kind of become best friends. But she eventually starts uh, developing more feelings. Meanwhile, she starts to get these weird rashes and starts to eat meat. There's a lot of these scenes of like her like voraciously devouring steaks, and she's always hungry. And Adrian catches her like quote unquote looking for cereal in the fridge um, because she's just is out in the middle of the night eating. Meat. So finally, her her sister's kind of antagonistic towards her, uh, but it's like a fun antagonism. It's like the older sister, go ahead, participate in the rituals. But yeah, I'm here. I'm here to show you the ways. Um, until that kind of comes to a head when she, uh, Justine wants to go out, and uh, her sister Adrian rec- or Alexia, sorry, uh, recommends a bikini wax. The wax gets stuck. Uh, she goes to cut off the wax strip and through a series of unfortunate events cuts off her finger passes out uh while justine is calling the police she looks at that finger and the hunger is finally satisfied while she eats her finger to which alexia wakes up to see her eating eating the finger like a buffalo wing like a a real small one it is one of the few times in recent memory I've been – I've literally cringed and wanted a scene to end as fast as possible. I handled it better the second time, but the first time I'm like, this is too gross. It's too gross. I need it to end. Please end. Yeah. So then you find out, obviously, that Alexia has the same thing that's going on where they eat uh, – where they want to eat people and they get kind of a craving for it if they ever eat meat. She shows her how to, like, cause car accidents to suck blood out of people. Um and then there's finally – so a few things come to a head. One, Justine feels just kind of overwhelmed by everything that's going on. She also really wants to have sex with Adrian, which they finally do. And Adrian's like, hey, I did have sex with you. I do care about you. But like I didn't I didn't go through everything I've gone through to just now go fuck women. Leave me alone. So while she's at her nadir, her sister 
and drunk at a club, her sister holds a dead body in front of her and while everyone films it and said, look at how fucked up this girl is. She's trying to eat this dead body while she like takes the hand away. They have a fucking knockdown drag out punch in the middle of school. Meanwhile, she wakes up um, the next morning with Adrian uh, next to her, only to realize that he has been partially eaten. Uh, and then there is her sister with blood drooling down her face, playing video games zoned out. Very end of the movie, you find out that she has gone. Her sister Alexia has gone to prison. She's talking to her dad. And her dad says, yep, hopefully you figure out a way in this world. We were trying to provide that. We just couldn't do it to your sister. You are going to have to figure this whole thing out because, P.S., the way your mom figured it out, because she's also a cannibal, has been she's been eating me uh, for 25 years. The end. Uh, Church organs loudly blast. Uh, Yeah, this movie is fucking great. This movie is so good. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. Because I think we should skip a, our our background on it. Because we saw the movie; it's a good movie. We both loved it. Came it Came out recently. To... We have no history besides seeing it in the last year and a half. Because you literally couldn't see it before that. Okay. Yes. Okay. So yeah, the sibling thing. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, Joey. Yeah. Why don't you go first? Sure. Okay. So I have a friend who found out that she was adopted when she was twenty. My friend thought that she had no siblings, and then she got three siblings. And that's sort of the least complicated component of finding out she was adopted because they obviously couldn't, didn't have a say in that decision as kids. And they're like 10 years older than her. So basically a bunch of like new generation ex new parents got like a new little sister who actually wasn't raised with them. And I am always telling my friend, this is not a normal sibling relationship because you guys like each other too much. That would not happen if you were raised together. So uh, that short anecdote is just to demonstrate how how realistic I found the amount of animosity between the two sisters in this <laughs> film. I have an older brother who's five years older than me, and we have always had a healthy amount of animosity towards each other. Recently, he had a baby and became 100% nicer. That happened to my sisters. Nice. I don't know what the fuck happened. I just figured he was setting a better example. Also, he had a little girl, maybe has more compassion for women now. I don't know. Um, my niece, my niece is really great. Um, but yeah, maybe it is that he's just like too tired to be an asshole. Um, I guess that wasn't what you were saying. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> so you guys, so, you guys both have older siblings. I have all older siblings. I'm the baby. Uh, Joey, are you yeah, I'm the baby? And I am the oldest of 10. As we've oh, my God. That's crazy. On this show. Man. Yes. So I only have experience being uh, the oldest. However, I definitely have experience uh, from my from my siblings' perspective with uh, how I'm viewed uh, by a lot of different younger ones. And obviously, it goes from a brother who's two years younger than me to a brother who's nineteen years younger than me. So it's definitely the gamut. At, at, once you get to the nineteen or seventeen right. years younger than me, yeah. you're basically like second parent. Not really a cool uncle right. for a lot of the time because I was in college for most of there or like wasn't living in the same city to now sometimes like just an, another old person in their life like because yeah. one's 18 and one's 16 now. So I am just like an old person who will talk about like, are you excited for Red Dead Redemption 2? But also like Aaron. I wasn't being loud. Like, you're waking up the kids. <laughs> Especially my brother, who's close in age to me. We have, we have, we've had a very good relationship. But I get the animosity before Alexia in this movie is a monster. 
But I get why there is a level of animosity. Yeah. And it's something I'm hyper aware having two kids of my own where that first kid is the trial run. We go through a different experience, at least from my perspective, than any of my other siblings went to. And it's usually one of the tougher ones because you take all of your – especially of you know parents of my age – you take all of your kind of like things of like, this is what we want out of raising kids. And then we put that on, they put that on, on their kids. And my parents especially had like a hard time figuring out like, oh, he's not going to do exactly what we want <laughs> or be exactly who we want. And so while, so while I had to have all those fights and have all those confrontations, I get why the little sister in this one just kind of like, she just wants to be average. She doesn't want to be noticed. She wants to slip through the cracks because that is a very little sibling thing to do, especially if you have a close older brother or older sibling, sorry, uh, because it is like he's the one getting in all the trouble. He's the one having all these fights. By the time they get to me, they don't they don't really have the energy for me. So I get away with a lot. And that is a hundred percent true. So even though I have a good relationship with my brother and for most of our lives, we had a good relationship. A lot of times my animosity at the way my parents would treat him transferred into animosity towards him. So while I'd be friendly and have fun and stuff like that, especially in high school and college, it was like, uh, they let you drive the car? <laughs> Fuck you. Like, they didn't let me drive the car. Um, and uh, the best way I can kind of sum it up is like, so I used to, I hated doing chores. And I used to argue and fight with my parents anytime I had to do a chore, which was Quite often, because we did have daily chores. And I'd be like, I don't have time for this. I got to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I'd eventually do it, but I'd somehow get in trouble for arguing too much. And my brother Luke would go, my parents would say, hey, you got to do this. And he'd go, okay. And then he wouldn't do it. But he didn't get in trouble. And I would call that out sometimes. I'd get so frustrated. And they're like, but I'm like, I did the chore. <laughs> he didn't even do it. They're like, yeah, but at least he didn't argue with us about it. And, it. and it was like, and we're just too exhausted from dealing with you. So like that element of like, it's hard not to at that age, even though the people that I should have been frustrated with, right or wrong, is either A, my own behavior and B, the way my parents have chosen to handle the situation. But there wasn't that much I could do to get my frustrations back out on my parents and I definitely didn't have enough self-reflection at that time to be like, I'm kind of still partially to blame here. I should just go do my chore or stop. Or the, the lack of sympathy of the Menendez brothers. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but some of that was put on my brother where it was like, you're still getting the benefit of this somehow, you little asshole. <laughs> so I understand that. And I feel like that is alexia's situation in this and and kind of confirmed by what her dad says at the end where her dad's like we we had a lot of hopes we did all these things to alexia and we realized that was that was the bad decision so we kind of changed tactics with you and that changing of tactics whatever it was we don't get a specific i can see in the abstract how whatever that was caused some some animosity in their relationship yeah, that's really interesting, that perspective. I feel like our sibling uh, relationships really are informing our interpretations of it. Um, I yeah. hadn't thought about that. Um, the The sibling relationship, family dynamic you described, is not my experience with being a younger sister. And I thought mine was pretty cliche, too, in which the youngest sister, like, I'm from a family of introverts, but I always, like, make jokes and, like, say all these things that 
aren't said normally. It's sort of like Claire on six feet under, if you've seen that. Um, but so that's my, so I was a theater kid and my brother was like a chess prodigy and he also didn't like go to parties at all. So he did none of that, like rebelling and exhausting my parents. So I had to do that like originally, um, because he had done none of that work. Um, that must have been tough too, because then I'm sure your parents are like, what the fuck is this? Right. My mom, my mom keeps telling me that like, she was like, before you were a teenager, I felt like I had never raised a child before. And it's like, okay, well some of that's on Andy for like not going out <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think I was probably a little, a little bitchy about his, his nerdery to him. That probably made me pretty annoying. Um, yeah. uh, but so I detected their sibling animosity. We said that Justine, you know, people mentioned to her several times that she's really gifted and her reputation pre- precedes her. And I thought that perhaps her sister's animosity came because she was resentful of her sister for being so gifted. In a way that, that it oh. looks effortless, you know? Yeah. Because at one point Justine says, because at one point Justine says uh, to Adrian, which is a very shitty thing, and one of the reasons I didn't like Justine, I ended, I ended up liking Justine, but, oh. but I, have, I have some problems with her. She says, it's really easy, like when he can't figure out how to do a thing on the, on oh, the test. Yeah. She's, oh, like, yeah. she's, she's like, it's really actually easy. And like that sort of like effortlessness. Right. Is, is something that I can imagine drove her older sister fucking insane. Yeah. So what's funny is that I actually read that completely differently, Joey, yeah. where I thought it was because the, the reputation proceeding came from the fact that Alexia was also so talented. So, and, and then the mom, I believe, went there too. So I, I felt like it was a- I think both parents did. Maybe. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So I thought and now I actually don't have that perspective because I went to different schools than all my siblings because they we talked about this, I think, on Jesus Camp. Mm-hmm. But uh, I went to public school and then couldn't get into the Catholic school, thankfully. So I kind of but then I never wanted to transfer once there was an opening in my grade. Mm-hmm. So I stayed at public school the whole time and my um, my brothers and sisters went to like the Catholic high school and stuff. So. I saw it differently where my oldest brother who was in Catholic high school, he did a lot of things that then my other siblings that were close to him tried to like put their head down because all the teachers would be like, oh, you're Luke's brother, the guy that put the lobster in the toilet that one day. And like all these other my, – my <laughs> brother was trying to shoot jackass videos, all like jackass <laughs> inspired videos. So he had a <laughs> reputation and Tyler used to get so annoyed. I like to think they were all lobster themed though. Like you're the one that put a lobster up your ass. <laughs> no, they're not all lobster Everyone themed, needs a but, thing. <laughs> but no, I mean – and he would get all these people. He was known as – I don't know. The troublemaker is not quite the right word because the teachers did kind of like him. But he was – the guy who pushed all the boundaries. And so my my younger siblings that went to that school always had the, you're Luke sibling. Mm. Um, so I guess I kind of interpret it as that the, oh, you're the gifted kid, just like your sibling. And this one teacher's like, but fuck you, because being gifted sucks. Right. Which is a shitty thing to put on a kid who's just trying to do well. But Right. Yeah. Especially if the kid was like gifted naturally and now has to learn like his stuff gets harder, now has to learn like a good work ethic where maybe they haven't had that before. I don't know. Yeah. I just hear I read an article recently about how gifted children have it really tough because they don't learn good work ethics because they're so smart naturally and that they're screwed later in life. Uh, yeah. So, Peter, we, we didn't really you mentioned it briefly, but how did this read to you from your uh, your sibling relationship? 
So I, uh, youngest of four, and we were uh, just first off the old versus young divide, uh, the oldest versus youngest divide. Uh, when I was younger, it was like a really big thing, like who has it easier? And it totally depends. In my case, and in the case of all my friends, it was that the youngest had it easier because the parents were fucking exhausted by the end. <laughs> yeah. And that they couldn't they couldn't check on the rules, right? And that like my my oldest sister got in all the fucking trouble. Whenever my other siblings would get in trouble, they got in a little bit less of a, a their punishments were a little bit lighter every time, right? Like they found a six pack in the fridge from my oldest sister and that was like she had to pour it out in front of her friends and all of her friends had to leave and like get like a sniff test from my parents to make sure that they could actually drive home and all their parents got a call. By the time it got to me, it was like my parents found out we were drinking in the basement and she was like, oh, they all have to sleep over now. <laughs> no. And dr- hey, and drink all the booze that's already in the basement, I guess. My, <laughs> my dad tried to ground me for a summer. <laughs> For an entire summer in high Jesus. school, because I got my first C in a high school class from junior to senior year. An entire summer? Yeah. He tr- eventually got knocked down to like a month of summer with being able to go out one night a week. It was Jesus. like, it, yeah. Sounds like some negotiations happen. Yeah, well, <laughs> negotiation or a lot of, I hate you. You are the worst person ever. Yeah. Those kind of, those kind of fun conversations. Yeah. Yeah, That's basically uh, like, if you put that, if you, if you make that punishment relative, it's like death penalty for stealing the bread. And you're like, but what about just 25 years? And he's like, yeah. cool. But then like, I, they probably don't even know what. My, my youngest brother's grades are at this point. I'm like, yes. whatever. Also, there is a little bit of like, well, nothing's really worked. So who the fuck knows right. what we're doing? Yeah. It was an interesting thing. But yeah, jumping to the, the actual sibling rivalry thing, the actual point being made here. My sister and I, uh, the, the two youngest in age, I should say. So it was girl, boy, girl, boy. My sister Elise and I had a brutal years long feud that just like the only time that was there was any sort of like uh you know christmas sort of uh you know uh, peace talks was literally at the holidays and like we hated each other when her friends would come over i would like try and embarrass her when my friends came over they would try and embarrass me like it was like it was awful uh and then at some point it just like broke but i still know more than my my fiance, more than my best friend, more than anybody. She knows exactly, more than my mother. She knows exactly where to twist the knife if she ever wants to hurt me. Like she she can make she makes me into somebody that no one else can. Yeah. I think that's a I think there's one or two people in my case I can name two people in my family that do that, but it's a, it's a big pool of people to choose from. Yeah. But I had some family visiting this weekend, and it was amazing how one of them, I just became, like, a different person. I'm usually, like, I mean, not to try to just say positive qualities about myself, but, like, I have young kids, especially, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I listen, I, you know, if someone makes a mistake, I, you know, am quick to forgive, I just, you know, I don't, like, I'm not someone who's quick to anger, I rarely get angry in general, and, like, this person gave me one, like, said, like, hey, have you tried... Uh, changing you know your baby's diaper she's kind of crying a lot maybe maybe she's got a wet diaper and i was just like yeah you don't think i checked you don't think i checked the diaper yes and like i walked away from that being like who the fuck was that like it is just and like to the point into a 12 year old again yeah 
Yeah, this person was my mom. Right. Uh, <laughs> she does No one's better than your mom at that. Yeah, but it is just like and she like my mom was not trying to do the thing that I – like, I know her well enough to know that she wasn't doing the, hey, you idiot, did you try this? She was trying to be helpful, but her being helpful is to say these obvious things. Yeah. And she's done it my entire life, and so, like, it hits me in a way that no one else can hit me, where it's just like, you don't think I know? Yeah. Right. This, like, This why? super basic thing. And it, and I feel bad because like we actually talked afterwards because like it hurt her feelings yeah. and I you know I don't want to hurt my mom's feelings yeah. and I was like you know I, I and I said the problem is me it is not you this is just who you are you offer advice I get it there is something about that that I don't even quite understand that feels like you are rubbing nails on a chalkboard and I need to stop immediately and especially in stressful moments. Which, when you have a baby who won't stop screaming, is a stressful moment. Like, I don't react well to it. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. I think that, um, I think there's something inherent in our need to keep surviving as a species. Like, everyone has the impulse to have, to reproduce and then have who you reproduce, you know, the people you created also reproduce. And then you are confident that you raised your reproductions right, so right that they had their own, right? So the family gene line can continue. So I think there's something in grandparents that makes them meddle in their kids' parenting styles. And I think there's something in the kids' the the meddling in those styles that like makes parent new parents like very defensive. Um, And then I also think that our parents and our siblings get to us so much because they created those issues in the first place because it's always going back to some childhood thing. And my mom likes to say, if it's hysterical, it's historical. As in, when someone has an outsized reaction to something, it's probably because you just touched a nerve from childhood. So, like, yeah, Yeah. of course the people who created the the sensitive spots are, like, great at reopening them. And then you overreact and you feel like a crazy person. You like do it in front of anyone else or anything like that. Yeah, and it goes both ways. Like my brother, who uh, my brother who's Luke, uh, my brother who is Luke, my brother Luke, um, who's thirty three. Like he's he's really um, spent a lot of time like centering himself. He just got back from Nepal. He was visiting here. He's a Buddhist. Like he just really is like. He teaches yoga. He really believes in this peace thing. And then like a year ago, I was spraying mosquito spray too close to him. And he just freaked out and was like, get the chemicals away. And like he (laughs) slapped it out of my hand. I told you I don't want chemicals near me. And he like stormed off. And like I was like, did I just break our Buddhist? Like what? what And he like came back and apologized. But like you you can be on the receiving end too where there's clearly something of like – I don't know what that was, but, like, he thought he had expressed something to me and I ignored it, which is a lot of times an older brother thing to do, not to lean into that stereotype. And so, you know, when I – he got – he – I hit that nerve where, like, I'm not listening to what he said. And I don't remember him saying that. He felt he had. And so he flipped out when I did – like, he didn't flip out because I, you know, sprayed the puck spray. It's like it's like thirty three right. years of a brother who doesn't always take his thought and yeah. his thoughts into consideration. That makes sense. It's uh, I love that we're having this conversation now because one of the things I want to capture with this month is not just the idea of cannibal families. 
but I want to talk about how what the family unit means and how people relate to their family members differently than they would say, uh, you know, a buddy that you made when you were an adult or a teenager or something where you'd already kind of learned that there was a social game going on. Um, And like you guys kind of pointed out, there is a genuine vulnerability that our family puts on us that it's, it's hard to not retreat into who you were, you know, the sort of more sensitive version of yourself in the past or the more, you know, quick to anger version of the yeah. self of your past. It's hard to not do that stuff when you're around family. They sort of have this like wall breaking down quality. Like they have this like trumpet of this trumpet that they can just like march around you for as long as they need to do it. And then eventually you're just like, no, Cheryl, I don't want a fucking cookie. <laughs> Like, and that's what this movie, I think, exemplifies so well, is that, like, this is this is a family unit that passed down genetically and then through action or inaction in whichever way you view it, uh, cannibalism. Yeah. That they their, their family has a, a genuine, ravenous, uncontrollable urge for eating human flesh. So uncontrollable, in fact, that there's a scene that Aaron already uh, highlighted in the synopsis where there's a, a a waxing, a Brazilian waxing scene, and it's sort of this, like, funny but painful to watch scene. And then it ends with one of the characters getting her finger chopped off, Alexia, the older sister. Then after that, in the most, maybe the most uncomfortable scene, just, I think Aaron said eating the finger like a buffalo wing. Totally. Justine so eats the finger like a I'm buffalo saying. wing. Yeah. yeah, and she's she's, she's turning like it. She's like a baby carrot without eating the metal because it's the bone. Yeah, she's turning it. Yeah. Um, that shows you how uncontrollable the urge is and how serious this thing is. This isn't just like they're inclined towards cannibalism. She's in a moment where the... An ambulance is on its way. Her sister's passed out. She hasn't really checked on her sister, really. She's just like, she's in shock. She's passed out, whatever. And then she starts eating at it because she just can't control herself. This is probably the most central movie this month to the theme that, like, with your family, you just sometimes you have, like, these these draws that are within you that you just can't put down. Well, and on top of that, like, even though Alexia kind of reveals herself to kind of be a little more of a monster in the way that she treats Justine in the scene we talked about. There is a moment that I think it's what tricked me into forgetting what she ends up doing later, where when she wakes up and sees Justine eating the finger, like a couple tears roll down. And I, I, I don't interpret it as tears around, um, oh no, that hurts. And this is my finger. It's fuck. She, she's got it. Like, as much as I may not always get along with my sister, I understand I'm living with a curse. And I don't want my sister to have that same curse. So there's like a, a true moment of like pure sibling connection of like of of seeing someone you love, even if it's someone you don't always like, but someone that you're like bound to in in this like genetic way is going to suffer the same way that you it it also implies that like this curse this thing that she has to carry she's like shit now i have to help carry you i have to help be your guide and that turns into resentment yes this this guide into the curse and yes when justine doesn't perform well enough in this education this metamorphosis whatever you want to view it as uh alexis is 
yeah, decides to just do some petty older sister shit to ground her in the dust. Joey, what'd you make all of this? Yeah, I I don't know that she didn't want her sister to become a cannibal and be cursed like that. I didn't necessarily... I also think there there maybe is some, you know, grieving that that she that her sister now has this curse as well. But I also think there's a moment of connection between them in that moment that you could make yeah. the argument that they could be sort of just I mean, you get tears when you're overwhelmed by by lots of different yeah. emotions. So it could be it could be something like that. Um but yeah, I agree. It it turns to resentment, and I found it really unreasonable for all of Alexia's bad qualities. I found it really unreasonable that she would yell at her sister for not understanding like quickly or magically enough that she was a cannibal now. Like whatever she wouldn't, whatever she like needed any explanation. I felt like Alexia just yelled at Justine, and it's like okay, well, like she doesn't know. Like weren't you here? Like do we want to? I'd like to see the prequel of Alexia fighting out on her own that she's a cannibal. Oh, yeah, that definitely comes from. And the reason that Alexia is not a true villain, uh, no one in the movie is really a villain villain, I don't think. I think that it it always comes from a place of Mm self-consciousness and that she is coming. She's coming from this place where she's like, I have found a way to fit within this social structure. I have found a way to make my habit work in a way that I can still perform as, you know, the older classman who's well on her way to graduating and well on her way to, to, to becoming a next vet and getting the hell out of this place. And I'm, I'm partying just as hard as anybody else and all that. But she's and she's self-conscious by the idea that anybody would challenge the way she somebody so close to her would challenge her on the way she does things. Especially in this scene, which uh, is kicks off, I think, how subversive this movie is of just, you know, horror tropes and movie tropes and, and just in general, how they collect their victims. Mm-hmm. They dive out from a, a ditch, make the car crash into one of the trees, and then they chew off whatever they can and they get the hell out of there. And then Justine even after eating her sister's finger, refuses to participate that and kind of shames her. After that, Alexis is like, or Alexia is like, oh, well. Fuck, fuck you then. Yeah. yeah. And I think that all goes back to the self-conscious thing. I think she's, I think she's self-conscious and she's angry that her sister is not being a good ward, not yeah. being a good apprentice. Oh, I mean, I felt like that way as, as an older sibling for dumb stuff. Like, even stuff like showing a movie to a sibling. Oh, yeah, like, I get really... Yeah, you're like, you didn't like that movie? But you're my sibling, and it's one of my... Or, like, you know, it, it's easy to both want your siblings to be exactly like you, and then also get annoyed when they're too much like you. It's, it's such a... It's a bizarre relationship. Definitely. And, and it's also one mirrored in the whole hazing ritual thing, because... They're hazing the freshmen like it's a fraternity or sorority or something, which also has a weird family dynamic, right? Where you the big sister, big brother, like sorority brother bond or whatever. Which can be abused by abusers when they're like, oh, because we're brothers and sisters, we can't break apart. You have to do every fucking thing I say. Right. Which is then even more painful in the real life big sister context when... You see, you know, um, Alexia on the hazing end and the Justine on the hazed end of it. Ugh. It's even more yeah. painful and exacerbated. 
she her sister refuses to answer her parents call when they arrive on campus and then her sister doesn't try and reach out and then when her sister finally finds her at the party the sort of like come down from that that or i guess maybe come up from that nadir of being treated like shit and having your mattress thrown out the window and being forced to crawl on concrete and in silence after all that she finally runs into her sister and she's like she's like huh sorry i'm just really drunk right now like yeah. her, her sister is, is yeah. living her own life and is the the idea that she would have to like take after her is is like scary or offensive to her in some way definitely yeah absolutely i have a feeling that we are going to have a hard time talking about everything we want to do so I think it makes sense to move on to the other big themes of this movie besides sibling relationships, which is is, uh, the feminist aspect um, about uh, kind of a a girl's sexuality being taken as kind of a horror and a ravenous thing that can't be controlled. And and also the way that uh, a woman itself, a woman herself looks upon that as like, oh, am I a monster? Um, Joey. Um, I'll let you take kind of describing a little bit more uh, beyond that quick summation. Um, So the first time I saw it, the part that the line that really stood out to me as being like, okay, this is a clear, you know, feminist movie about how we undervalue female, like the aggressiveness of female sexuality and like women having like a sex drive outside of being pursued as sex objects. So um yeah, so I, I had that going in and I thought it was just that one line. But when I rewatched it, it's clearly something the movie hammers over and over again. Um, but the line I'm thinking of is when her roommate, for when she first meets her roommate, when she gets to school and it's the middle of the night and the roommate comes in, Adrian, and he's like, oh, you know, hey, I'm your roommate. And she says, I requested a girl. And he said, oh, you know, a girl, a gay guy, um, you know, same difference to them. It's so clear that, you know, society thinks if he's not interested in her demographic, then there shouldn't be a sexual conflict because it's underestimating her having a sex drive and potentially being attracted to the, might I say, gorgeous um, gay gay roommate who spends a lot of time with his shirt off. He's a, he's a cool dude. Too. He's great. He's my favorite he doesn't character. Care. He's my favorite character too. He's, he's so awesome. nice. He's a um, and he's a really good big sister. Like I feel like so much of the time when they spend time together before they have sex, which is obviously nothing that you do with your big sister. Um, uh, I feel like he's like the one that's like supporting her and they immediately fall into this like very deep bond that really you, you relate to if you've ever, you know, been to college and made like really deep friendships really quickly. Yeah. And also I relate to it. I want to get back to the, the, cause I actually never thought about that point and that's amazing. And I want to get back to that. But, um, I do think that like, as I mentioned, like college relationships are very confusing because you have a level of freedom that you didn't. And I remember being really good friends with uh, with women my first year of college. And like I think in any other time of my life, we would have stayed friends or my first couple years. But there was this like, oh, we're hanging out all the time. Should we be also having sex? Because we can anytime we want – we probably should should date or go on it like it was like it's just it i just think relationships are very confusing when 
all your relationships before are based on what time you need to be home, or at least you know, in my from my perspective, like what time you need to be home, and if you have sex, you better figure out where you're going to have sex and whose houses and all this stuff, and like that kind of like, oh yeah, it's just you now. You you decide this stuff is confusing for everyone. I think for those first couple of years, where it's like friendships look different to you, relationships look different to you, and I think sometimes it takes a couple of years to be like, oh no, f- friends. Yeah, I remember just being friends with uh, people um, of the gender I'm attracted to. Like, you yeah, know, that's uh, why that's why I think freshman year has so much shame associated with me. For me, for me, yeah. it's like like someone coming on to me that I was I just saw as a friend and vice versa and like and then you just have these sort of awkward like well uh that didn't work out uh I think I was just vulnerable and stupid yeah that was it um got it and then eventually by sophomore year junior year you have to figure that out like how to have real relationships with people where you know where the boundaries are you know how far uh, what kind of duties you expect out of the relationship and like that's that's the weirdest thing about college is, is yeah like figuring out not just how to deal with the opposite sex but just to figure out how to deal with all these new people that are suddenly not just you you're hanging out with because that implies you can go home in a dorm room right. especially you can't go home so it's like something goes goes wrong you're like oh shit i gotta see this person this dude i stopped being friends with i gotta see him like every day now yeah and it's even worse that she was paired with this guy and then like she has to have a sort of sexual competition with her sister over him yeah it's it's uh you're right aaron there's there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy shit in, in early in college you just have to figure out like and it's it sucks that that playground has to happen just because of how the ages that we go to school at and the ages of height and how people typically treat high school relationships and it's just like a byproduct of, of parents keeping their kids very close to them and then all of a sudden like oh all the all the all the uh the cuffs are off like, get out of there. Go figure your mistakes out on your own. Yep. Yeah. And there's just a lot of that whole, like, oh, hey, we can hang out when – you're right. Like, it's not just about um, relationships. It's also, like, we can hang out whenever we want. Right. And that's why, like, a lot of friendships burn out because it's like, yeah, but you, you, you shouldn't hang out all the time just because there's no artificial barriers. <laughs> like, people need space and you – you have a lot of these very intense friendships, I feel like, or like I did my first couple years in college. And like some of those blew up very quickly because it's like we are around each other all the time and fuck you and fuck you. And then you go your separate ways. And I think, it, yeah, it takes a little bit to figure all that out. Yeah, I still feel a little bad about how like I turned into a dick because like I was like, no, I'm just walking to the meal hall. <laughs> I can't fucking look at your face for the 95th hour this week. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the, the, the feminist aspect of this movie is particularly interesting because it is about a woman coming into her own. It is a, a maturation, an adulthood story, um, sort of like Ginger Snaps. Joey, have you seen Ginger Snaps? I haven't. It's on my list, though. I want to see it. Yeah, I think you'd like it. Uh, and it's very it's very cool little, uh, little horror movie about women's experiences that I I, I I think is pretty cool. But this movie is similar to Ginger Snaps in that regard, but it's, it's far more complicated, I think. Justine's transformation moments are what really interests me because they're, most of them are hardly consensual. Right. She's tech, like she technically acquiesces to that social pressure, but like 
that's not the same as a, having a free will and giving free consent to something yep. like the the rabbit kidney first. Yep. So she her sister Alexia just basically she says like uh, in a she says like oh I'm a vegetarian I don't I'm not gonna eat this I know it's like a thing you're doing but like you can call my parents which is also like a very hilarious like showing her transition into adulthood because she's like oh yeah my mom says I don't have to eat that yeah uh, <laughs> uh, and then she says oh well, this boy covered in blood will understand <laughs> yes exactly and then my and then and then she says like oh ask my sister and her sister walks up and she's like no no no, no. now I'm really gonna make you eat it yeah so that's not really like like a consensual way of, you know, transferring, initiating into adulthood. And then the paint scene with her, her getting a bucket of paint dumped oh, on her. Yeah. And then there's already a yellow boy in there. And then the guy says, go make green. Don't come out till you're green. That scene is very creepy and very relatable. And that's sort of like sexual social pressure of like early adulthood. Right. Um, yeah, I was especially struck um, with the rabbit kidney point because when she goes in for um, the really gross, horrible rash she gets from it, which is also a th- oh god th- part of the um, derma tomania coating, uh, the nurse says, "Why didn't you fight back um, uh, for the for the um, rabbit kidney eating?" And then at one point, the nurse said, okay, so did they make you like if they, you know, I think she might have said, you know, if they jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? Um, just the same kind of um, interrogation you would get if you're like reporting an assault or harassment or something like that. And then, yeah, I think that um, I think that blue scene is so memorable and such an interesting way to sort of play on the like seven minutes in heaven, like, you know, kissing game. Um, and it's so visually striking. Um, and you know, the payoff of, um, her, of him coming out with his part of his lip bitten off and the red in comparison to the green and the yellow and the blue is so gorgeous and stunning and gross and also sort of empowering because, you know, she was pressured into this situation. Then she takes a bite out of that guy. And I think there's something kind of genius about that paint scene, from the idea of depicting what it's like to have all of the sexuality taken out of a, a moment like that. And let me try to explain myself even a little better. Like they are covered head to toe in like thick latex paint. Like neither of them look like a person. There's nothing like even though they're supposed to be like in underwear or something like that. There's nothing like appealing or like. If you're watching as an audience member, you're going, this is kind of fucking gross. And like, yep, that is the point. Putting someone in an uncomfortable situation is not like sexually arousing. It's not sexually appealing. It is like I I, it is like they're, you know, you're covered in this gross substance or whatever metaphor you want to use. Like it's it feels like it's visually depicting that feeling of this is disgusting. This is gross. I am uncomfortable. I want out of this because they look very uncomfortable and they it's it's uncomfortable to even look at them outside of the context of the scene because it's like. Isn't there pain in your eyes? Don't you need to go take a shower? Like, right, and she does shower so for disturbing. so long. Yeah, I was, yeah, because it wasn't sexy. I was having all those like practical concerns, and I was like, so what if you're making out and then you swallow that fucking paint? That's yeah. so gross. But that's the exact. That's the right word. Like, it's not sexy when you throw two people in a closet and go 
and treat sexuality and human sexuality as like a game when there's non-consensual participants. Right. Especially both. I mean, not that it's good when there's one, but like when neither of them are doing it, you know what I mean? Like when the, the guy isn't particularly into it either. Like it's like we, yeah. we feel it's so, it's so clearly like a, you know, um, school hazing ritual with other people pulling the strings that it feels like a gross science experiment that you're watching because it's a ritual it's not a it's not an act of of free giving love that that just you know arises organic like all sex should rise organically in an ideal world right like or or just hey if you're if you're into going to a sex game party you're gonna have pain on yourself yes sex games great but like, yes, but at least you, those moments within the party would be organic. Like yeah. you say, I like that person, that person likes me. And then you go to the closet together, having made the choice, not an entire room of awkward looking freshmen already covered in paint. And then one guy is just like, here's a bucket of paint. You didn't even intend on coming to this party. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. matter. Grabs her by the shoulder and then pushes her in the closet or whatever bedroom. It, yes, it's it's very uncomfortable. But what I love about that moment is that, like, if you saw a still from that in the trailer, you'd be like, you'd be like, oh, it's it's like a you know, Xavier Gans or, you know, like one of those like. A, Did they not color correct all the blood? <laughs> <laughs> you'd, yeah, you think is you think it was um sort of a uh, a weird sort of surrealist French uh, touch that maybe this was a dream or something. It's literal. This is literally a hazing ritual that's supposed to make people uncomfortable enough that they're like, well, we have to make green. And so he is doing a very unsexy thing, but he's playing along with the game where he's like just rubbing her legs, but not in a, a, yeah. a like uh, in a sexy manner. He's just like rubbing them to get the green color in there. And then eventually towards the end, he's like, okay, now we should make out a bunch. And that's when she adds red to the mix. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. But that those two scenes, the rabbit scene and that are her um, initiation into adulthood forced on her so hard. Yeah. It also just occurred to me that like the hazing ritual has another metaphor, which is, this idea of like the sins of your family being stuck on you, because even though the 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 hazers are not their true family, even though you kind of mentioned the like Greek affiliation and the way they use family, if you asked any of these kids like why are you doing it to these people, the only re- the only answer they have is like what well, was done to me, like I went through yeah. this, so now other people need to go through this, and which is kind of like the toxic cycle of our society yeah. as a whole yeah. that we have so much trouble breaking out of because it's like. Well, why even even stuff that um, I mean, it's what we're going through now. It's what every generation goes through, where you have uh, the older generation, usually the generation in power, much like the older kids here, are saying, "Well, we've always done it this way. There was no problem for me doing it this way." And other people are like, "Yeah, but it sucks. Yeah, like I don't want to do it this way anymore. Like it's shitty. Now that you're not in a position where it's affecting you, you are like, did you like this? Do don't you think there's a better way? And that's like a perfect metaphor for our toxic society as a whole. Yeah. And there's even a class who refused uh, the initiation uh, when there, there there's a first scene. Um, the sister is actually at doing some attempt to kind of welcome uh, Justine to the school. And she takes her to a back room, shows her pictures of all the previous classes, shows her her parents. Your parents are covered in blood too. It doesn't matter. Uh, and... Uh, then she shows a picture of the uh, a class that refused initiation and all their heads are cut off in the photo. 
Yeah, I thought also, didn't they mention that her dad's head was cut off in the photo, too? Like, he didn't do it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. I think you're right. I think it was his. But they talk about it. It's really cool. It's a really cool little... It, it's also... There's two really great references there. One... When they go in that back room, there's uh, flashes. The sister's trying to scare uh, – Alexia's trying to scare Justine with the flashlight and make monster faces. That's almost like the movie teasing you and teasing the audience or even sort of like letting you know like this is not going to be your typical horror movie with all the fucking like trappings that you expect, right? But then on the other hand, there's another moment where she's – all the kids get dumped in blood like Carrie and it's a subversive moment. The blood is the initiation. So it's, you know, it could be, you read that in a thousand ways because blood is such a primal thing. It could be a hymen breaking. It could be, yeah, yeah the, or the first period yeah. you have, or it could be, it could be a hundred things, right? But if, even if you read it just from horror history, you're like, oh, in Carrie, the blood dropping scene was a way to shame uh, an outsider girl stepping above her, her, you know, her class, stepping out of her range, thinking that maybe she could take this hottie to the prom. And in this, it's the opposite. This was them dumping all the kids and then immediately cheering them on for getting dumped. Like the 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 blood thing is is an initiation, right? It's 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 the opposite of social shaming. If you don't do it, you get socially shamed. So those sort of weird. It shows that she understands horror history in a way that's like really fun. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Wait, I should mention the director's name. His name is uh, Julia Ducourneau, um, and she has not directed anything since Raw, and she's just did a couple shorts before this. So this is kind of her her calling card in her first movie yeah and also another scene that i was reminded of was um uh and i'm sure this can't be intentional because the movies came out the first time but um it reminded me when she throws up the hair it reminded me of beverly throwing up the hair in it last year um oh my god and yeah. like let's talk about that yeah. we, we we teased it yeah yeah and perhaps that's in the book or the earlier miniseries i haven't seen or read um but that and that's but that's also clearly um you know about puberty as well and i think i mean it's one of the times that i think the movie is calling out trick trichotillomania um and there's other scenes where she has her hair really close to her mouth um which is also just oh, a classic yeah. oral um fixation thing yeah. that a lot of people do like you'll notice if you notice you touch your mouth a lot of people touch their mouth when they're nervous and you know touching the ends of your hair to your mouth is like one more level and like half of people with trick like eat some of the hair as part of the ritual so um yeah but it just really reminded me also of the scene with beverly and i think that scene is more about puberty than it is about trick but they both can be about both that's why i love the movie is that like I, i read a couple reviews for the movie that were like oh they get their there's stupid, simple, incomplete metaphor out of the way, and then there's nothing else there. This movie was weirdly divisive for a movie that was is well-reviewed. There are a lot of reviewers that did not like this, um, which just happens with challenging horror movies. Um, I really liked it. I liked it even more the second time. I think... I agree. Yeah. I think most movies... To the point that I kind of... like, We did already record our Best of 2017 episode, which won't come out for a couple months. Um, and while this was high on my overall list... It didn't make my top 15, and I'm kind of regretting that now because I think this is the problem with a lot of mystery movies, and this does have a lot of mystery at it. You're like, what the fuck is going on? Um, A lot of mystery movies 
especially good ones, benefit from watching it again. So you can kind of observe all the character moments and observe all these themes that we're talking about, removed from the fact that, like, you know where the story's headed, you know what's what's going on. Uh, Big Lebowski, I think, is, like, the classic example of that, which is, like, a movie a lot of people I know hated the first time because it's such a convoluted narrative that you get wrapped up in that and miss all the jokes. Yep. and this is this is this is this is probably the only time this movie's ever been compared to the Big Lebowski, but <laughs> it's 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 similar for me. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it is it is similar to me in that like I already really liked it, but I loved it, loved it this time around, and I can see that because it is so. Like when that shoe drops of the cannibalism, it's about an hour into the movie. Yeah, it's surprisingly long into it. Because it's got so much else on its plate, too, with all the hazing rituals and the relationships. And then you find out the sister had right. – like, there is so much that you're, like, trying to unpack that makes complete sense by the end of the movie that I think you can just – there's a lot of subtle stuff going on here. Very easy to miss when you're like, what is happening? When you're initially so grossed yeah. out, too, and your body's just having yeah, like that- a revulsion reaction, so you might miss some subtext. Yeah. You have a revulsion and inquisitive. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gagging. Like- yeah, yeah. It also is what separates something like, let's say, seven and usual suspects. They both have Kevin Spacey in a central role in the twist. Seven is a movie that years later. Did they both uh, come out in 95? I, I think so. Uh, it, was a surprise that, it was a surprise that Kevin Spacey uh, was in seven. Uh, yeah. He was hidden from the marketing, all that. Anyways. Now they do that for a different reason. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Now, great, great choice, marketing team. But it's a movie that, that we still are going to be talking about for years and years. It's, it's uh, you know, the the psycho of of uh, David Fincher's career. I don't know. Like, it's it's the movie that I think great. people will yeah. point to to sort of his the epicenter of it. And then, uh, and then fucking Usual Suspects is a movie that everyone's like, hey, yeah, once you know the twist, like, um, this movie's kind of fucking boring. It's a well-made movie. But... The fact that it's a Brian Singer movie really helps uh, bury it now in the cultural consciousness. But even before the revelations, there's a sometimes movies do not do well once all of its its secrets are revealed. I think that Raw, like Aaron said for me, improved on a second watch because it, not all of its secrets were revealed. There's so much going on here, and it, and you were talking about the throwing up hair scene. Like, yes, it hints at. Uh, trick it had it hangs at um the way that uh through puberty and you know maturation you start to grow hair in weird places like it hints at all sorts of there's a primal wonderful quality to this movie that really comes out of the fact that it's it's a it's a pure experience there's a lot of long takes with no commentary and and you can jump back into it and be like oh i didn't see it from this perspective also the other girl in the bathroom assumes she's bulimic so there's that yeah. too to tie into the yes. same thing. It's like it's like so normal for women to like have a disorder where we value how we're perceived from a looks perspective above everything else that girls can give each other advice about how to best um, you know, practice their eating disorders. And they have been for since since the advent of the internet, certainly for, for my generation, but you know, probably before that too. And Adrian earlier in the movie makes it a lot. It has a line that there's a a lot of the kids say very dumb fucking things in the movie because they're kids. Yeah. I think Justine is supposed to be 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, 
Which at first I was like, that's kind of fucked up. She's having sex with all these people or making all these people and she's 16. And it's like, okay, it's France. The age of consent is 15. <laughs> like kind of, you, you don't go to college at 18 like you do here. Like it's a whole different thing, whatever. Luke Besson is still a perv, don't worry. But there's a line that Adrian says earlier in the movie that actually made me not like him for much of the movie, which was he said like, well, yeah, when you get raped, you, I don't know, you become anorexic and see a therapist or whatever. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're like hand, hand waving off a lot of stuff that's it's not really hand wave worthy. Yeah, uh, sure. But that's that's what the movie has is a lot of moments where people are not giving the proper respect they're not giving the proper respect for people's consent and their willpower and who they are as people. And that causes a lot of fucking issues, especially when you've got two cannibals in its core. Well, and also I kind of saw that a little bit um, differently as well in that I think, I, I think the movie was trying to comment on seeing it again, especially that like, okay, well, he's a freshman in college. Like where, where did he probably learn to think like that? Like his parents? Like he probably, I mean, that's, that's, that is a very common college thing too, where you come to college with all of this. Um, it's why a lot of conservatives are always like decrying college is like a bad thing because you come sometimes to college with these fucking terribly offensive, regressive views. And in some cases you don't even like, you don't even know they're terrible and regressive because you've been living in a familial bubble that has reinforced those your entire life. And you go to college and people are like, like, um, like Justine does here, like, that's fucking stupid. And it's probably the first time that you've ever had to confront that your fucking stupid thing is fucking stupid. Yeah, although it is really weird to be raised as a woman and know that it's pr- it's at least a pretty large possibility that you'll get raped someday. It's a pretty weird thing that, like, I remember... Yeah. I feel that I spent a lot more time worrying about it as a kid than most boys do um so that's just a it's just a weird thing um no that's a very fair point yeah but i mean that that, that was not something i was aware of at that age right oh yeah definitely whereas in my first brownie handbook which is the level before girl scouts we were like it was like has someone ever touched you at night in ways that make you feel uncomfortable like it's literally since birth I think now it's probably going both ways where especially like I went to Catholic school and at a certain point they started uh, tossing in little things like they didn't really want to acknowledge it, but they were like, hey, since it's a Catholic school, uh, if anybody ever touches you, um, definitely tell a parent or a teacher, hopefully a parent. I don't want to deal with that. Anyways, (laughs) um, they started tossing in more of that stuff when I was in like sixth or eighth grade because that's when the the scandal really blew up. So yeah, I think I think that 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 fear though in women is something that like is a it's a feminist issue not just because it it, it you know is matters to women but because feminist issues affect men too. Like sexual assault is something that we need to everybody needs to watch out for and not just in a fear mongering way in a. Hey, respect for people and their consent is incredibly important. Please do not fucking violate that. I really like, um, there's like a, a theory of, there's like a way to teach kids about consent, about like tickling. Because if you think about oh. it, tickling is something you could really not like. And it's like about having boundaries and control over your body. But it's not at all even, like no one would think that that was uncomfortable to talk about with kids. And it's something that kids do all the day it's like you don't like it when he tickles you after you don't like it right so i think that's great and should be a curriculum um very relatable it would have been relatable for me because i am and was a very ticklish yeah, child yeah but 
the the film has a, the film has a lot to say about uh, respect for people's bodies yeah. and consent and how we we just justify that disrespect to people's bodies and their privacy uh, through social structures yep. like uh and we just toss it off like oh it was just part of the hazing ritual right. you were a rookie um it was it was during rush week who cares yeah. you know now you got Don't through be such that a you're baby. stronger Everyone goes right through. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Them, yeah. Um, yeah we've spent so much time talk- we're talking all over this movie talking about uh i think i feel like we almost actually covered it end to end just focusing on like two or three major pillars of this movie but I do want to make sure that we have a little time here to to, to mention any moments that we didn't get to yet. Um, I do have two very quick things, and then I'll let you guys uh, go on with your stuff. Um, I do think it's kind of shitty. Like, if, if, if she eats meat once and turns into a cannibal, I know it's an uncomfortable conversation. You've got to talk to your kids about it. Like, the chance that she's never going to stumble into meat in her life as – Evidence by the first scene, even on accident, is is slim to none. Tell your kid what's going to happen. <laughs> it makes so much sense, especially like okay. So I have been cutting back on beef and pork for a long time, and uh, all of a sudden, I, I was buying refried beans a lot to like you know put on a sandwich or whatever. And all of a sudden, I found out I was like, oh wait a minute, there's vegetarian refried beans. Oh, they're using animal fat in this or you know whatever like what are the lines like is it just flesh is it fresh flesh i think you're getting a little bit to a gremlin situation i'm just saying (laughs) like like, if you eat meat then immediately she's gonna need to eat people you gotta sit down your kid and be like but i guess that is probably also a part of the the sexuality metaphor which is like parents are feeling comfortable talking to their kids about sex so they don't and they don't know about condoms and they don't know about contraception and they don't know about all this stuff and then that can lead to some serious life-changing things just because you didn't want to fucking sit down and tell your kids hey use birth control if you are not ready to get pregnant and then bad things happen because no one fucking taught them that and some places because they go to certain schools the schools don't teach you that um and also every vegetarian has accidentally eaten meat just like just like uh, you go to a salad bar, they make you a salad, or you make your own salad, and there's just, like, a little bit of bacon that just flipped over from one of the other bowls. <laughs> like, Well, just on a meat level, so my boyfriend was raised pescatarian. He's never had anything except for fish by his mother, and you, you stop producing the enzymes to break up animal proteins if you never, ever have them. It's different if you started being a vegetarian later in life or if you haven't done it for that long. But you, it will make you vomit. Like, it will make you sick if you are not used to it at all because you don't produce the enzymes to break it down. Fat, you, you, you're going to be able to handle better than, like, a full meat protein. Um, Has your boyfriend ever accidentally eaten chicken or beef? So his asshole father um, made a lasagna and, like, put turkey in it as, like, a vengeance thing to his mother who raised him that way one time i think seems like a scene that could be in this movie right i know and for that reason like i would love him to start eating meat and at one point we had a deal where if i moved across the country to like rural humboldt humboldt county where he lived at the time that he would start eating meat if i like introduced it really slowly like you start with chicken broth and then you start a little white meat chicken right until they like build up the enzymes uh, so we had a deal about that, but I didn't move there. So now that deal is kaput and he won't do it. And I try and be really sensitive um, 
to his preferences because like that thing with his dad and the turkey lasagna sounds terrible and you're a monster you just made your child sick to make a point to your wife congratulations that's the ultimate using your kids as pawns right yeah right right it's fucked up it's really fucked up so that sounds like a really troubling food experience and then the only other little thing i have is that i think this should be exhibit a if you're translating a movie for any sort of language, whether it's an English movie going overseas that's going to have subtitles or movie in a different language that's coming, uh, getting translated to English, as was the case with Raw. I'm going to say this to everyone doing that. You don't need to translate the song lyrics because out of context, disconnected from the person singing them, all song lyrics sound terrible. Yes. This one was particularly the rap song uh, the rap yeah, song yeah, yeah. it's actually like it's actually a fucking cool ass scene where she's like i'm gonna be badass and she's listening to this from musically and um and based on the 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 singer's voice it's like a really good song for that scene but they they translate the lyrics and it's like this is some goofy ass shit and i don't think it's the song although the song does have some goofy lyrics but like if you look at any lyrics disconnected from the song it takes away from the lyrics let alone if it's like oh wait what is she saying well also because like, it doesn't her, rhyme yeah. right because you translate it doesn't rhyme it's yeah. the biggest problem is it like exactly. it doesn't seem artful when it's gone through whatever like google translate device that they've done if you yeah if you've never heard get your freak on and you listen to missy elliott's <laughs> like you just read the lyrics you'd be like this is stupid <laughs> and then you hear the song you're like this fucking is awesome but it's 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 all songs don't translate music just don't Great. do it Agree. Joey, what are some scenes that uh, that you want to talk about before we wrap okay. up here? So continuing with my theory about how the film is just about how we underestimate female sexuality and females, you know, pursuing sex. Uh, when she has sex with Adrian, her gay roommate, I noticed this time that it is completely her initiating it. And he actually has his heart on from watching gay porn a moment before. So yep. it is completely a moment that would not have happened if she hadn't initiated it and is a little shaky on a consent level as well, considering in the middle, like he was sort of like, eh, I don't want to do this. And then later he seemed to have regretted it. Also, it's not an uncommon experience for a gay man. Like you don't need We don't need to legislate whether or not Adrian is bisexual. Right. It's not an uncommon experience for a gay man to have sex with or, yeah. you know, make out with heterosexual woman because he thinks that that's what he's supposed to do right and also i mean his own his own struggles with you know maybe he's like a four on the kinsey scale or a five like maybe he leans you know homosexual but like it's generally into dudes but like it just caught up in the moment or whatever seeing him try and deal with it and try and deal with you know, why did I come out and like endure like the societal cost of doing so if I'm just going to have sex with a woman? You know, that was a really that that is sort of I wouldn't call it underdeveloped. It's hinted at because the story isn't from his perspective. But I feel like all the characters and relationships in Raw is, have like such depth to them. Um, and, it, and you get the impression yeah. that it surprised him too, like how close he got with this this girl and like, yeah, the feelings that developed. Yeah, I love that they give him time also to show a little bit of him doing college experimentation and him blossoming a little bit and not just not just Justine. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, And then later she shows like her 
motor like her pursuing dudes when she's at a party and she's really fucked up um i think it's right before the morgue scene and she just starts like kissing on a dude um and one of them has a girl who like gets her to go away but another one swats her away like she's a fly and i thought that was another really good theme in this movie that they're all treating animals like things and people like animals, like how they all like make the hazing rituals about pe- they're like crawling on the floor. Like there's a bunch of scenes where like you, you are in the distance and you see people coming in and it's like very yeah. animalistic. Yeah. And then when they work with animals and when they make them unconscious and then they're working on them and stuff, you just see these animals like inanimate objects. Um, yeah yeah it, it's that's something we didn't really touch on is the fact that they're on a vet school and and it's sort of divide between like well you don't eat you don't eat people you eat animals right we didn't touch on that too much but that's a really great way to illustrate that joey well also like you force i mean a lot of that's on here too like you force animals to breed in the yeah. same way that they force they try to throw the kids in the closet right yeah go have go do your right. thing we need green we need babies whatever else it is like yeah yeah and the movie's very complicated because in the flip side of that yes he swats away like a fly yes away yes there's a girl who pushes her away from you know the, the mating ritual whatever on the other hand like she is passing on that lack of respect for consent yeah, yeah. she right. was shown she's like well yeah this is just what i'm supposed to do i'm right. just supposed to like treat everyone the way i was treated yep and that's how abusive cycles continue. Yeah. And was the, so the vet school, like generally having giant horses in slow motion and stuff makes things creepier, especially when it's about eating people and parts and whatever. Uh, so the first, from the first time I watched it, I got the impression that they were, they're a family of veterinarians in an effort to like curb this lust for flesh. Cause they'd be around all this flesh all the time. So like, maybe they can sneak eating some animal parts or something. I don't know. I felt like vet school is very deliberate in like their larger plan to try and deal with their condition. Yeah, it seems like it. But then I guess one of the things this movie does not like explain everything about how their condition works or what it is. And I like that about it. So I guess there is probably something about like, because obviously eating food satisfies her to some level. Like, or I shouldn't say eating food. Eating meat <laughs> satisfies her to some level. Um, non-human because flesh. Non-human flesh. She eats a lot of it, and she's like, I'm still hungry, but it's not like one of those other cannibal movies where um, there's something supernatural about it, where if she doesn't have meat, like, literally she starts throwing up everything else, and, you know, it, it does seem like, yeah, this is what's going to make you full, but you can eat your salads if you want, which in this case is uh, tons of steak on sticks. Is that another layer to this? The, the pressure for girls to eat uh, stuff that, that actually doesn't fill them to maintain a certain body type? Yeah, I definitely think that there's uh, a layer of like eating disorder and um, how that pressure manifests itself in in the movie just you mentioned the bulimia thing and i'm like oh but there's also this whole thing like she's she's always hungry because she can't eat the thing that would actually fill her and you know i've i've known a lot of women in my life they're like oh man i'm so hungry but i gotta fit into this swimsuit so i'm just eating salads and some of it is you know may just be the way that they want to look but i'm sure as as many people have touched on a lot of it is a societal pressure to look a certain yeah and even if you don't have like anorexia or bulimia as it's like 
obviously defined. I feel like a lot of people have like disordered eating habits that aren't don't fit neatly into that box, but like they might get like obsessed about certain things or just like overthink it. Um, mm-hmm. I have trouble noticing when I'm hungry. Like it, it doesn't feel like pain in my stomach. I just notice that like I can't think as well. <laughs> so then I'm like, I gotta <laughs> eat something. And then I was like, when did I stop noticing I was hungry? Like it's weird because I, I definitely used to. Um, uh, so the last scene at the end with the dad, I feel like if there is a flaw in this movie, that scene might come off a little bit too much like, look at me and my scars, the end. Like it's a little, it's a little bit like too obviously wanting to shock you, but I still do think it's really good and it's a really memorable ending. Plus that music's so fucking good that they use twice. Yeah. God, that's good. No, I love it. It taps into what I love about horror is when they can have these like ball drop, yeah, the other shoe drop moments, which was why I loved like Tales from the Crypt style stories because like all of a sudden the whole story flips on its head at just the right pivot point. And I love that even watching it a second time and I knew her mom was a cannibal. I was like, what the fuck was up with their family? And I forgot that the dad isn't, but he's just like, you'll find a way to cope. I forgot that. I forgot the dad was the feeding thing. I don't know if he's the feeding thing or if he's just this was a this was a cost of their early relationship that she she fucking mauled him. And then after that, they figured it out. Oh, I think she's still biting him a little bit because some of those wounds are yeah. a little fresh. Yeah, I thought it was scars on top of scars on top of fresh. wounds. Yeah. Like I thought like that's how I figured it out. I am I am your uh, I am your mom's feeding. Dad. Yeah. That is our relationship. Right, she and he, me, but not he is disconnected that. from every other relationship because he's like <laughs> he is disconnected. He's so reserved. He doesn't say much. He barely and like there's a little moment to show how disconnected he is where he's like outside smoking. He's like, do you smoke? <laughs> like, and it is just like that is such a moment of like I am barely a present figure in your life. What do you smoke? I don't, I don't care. Here you go. Here, have a cigarette. Like, and not just the cigarette stuff because I understand there's a little bit more uh, depending on where you're at. Uh, and this obviously takes place in France. Very cigarette smoking people, but um, I, that idea of like having no idea whether your daughter smokes and like, do you want one of these? And that's the little bit of moment that we'll share. Yeah, I felt like he was actually, I felt like the mom was very defensive about being a cannibal. Like, I feel like every scene the mo- the parents are in, the mom like almost immediately stalks off angrily to go yell at the food person or at the end she stomps off. Um, for some reason, maybe after because they just saw the the other daughter in jail. Um, and then the dad talks and the way he describes the relationship with the mom, it almost feels like the dad was like the gay roommate to the mom. Like he was yeah. like, I really, you know, it didn't sound like they were in a romantic relationship the whole time. It just sounded like they were really there for each other and like each other's people. Um, yeah, they were friends. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they realized that maybe they could be more for each other. Right. Maybe they could eat each other or will it go one way? Also, this um, movie just reminded me of a really creepy book I read in middle school that I'm sure you guys haven't read, but maybe like one of our listeners has. We had to read it in middle school and it was like there was a story within a story about this man that made soup out of himself so his family could eat when they were starving. And like... Oh, that sounds familiar. Was that a... uh scary story to tell in the I dark i don't think so really I'm weird. Looking this shit i up. know i haven't been able to find it 
Um, it's like middle, it's like aimed for middle school readers or so. And I think the main story, this is the story within the story with the person soup. Uh, but the main story I think might've started an owl. And then they tell a story about a family. And at first I just remember he scrapes off part of his skin to make a broth. And then like, eventually he's like put everything he has into the soup to feed his family you know, after like many rounds of soup. You know what is not a good Google search for for trying to find what? that? Man feeds his family by making soup. Not <laughs> Yeah, you just got a lot of dad vlogs or something. I, I, oh, that's nice that the dad made soup for his family. Right. Daddy has dinner. <laughs> you want soup recipes? <laughs> if the, if the I internet left out has a very this, key element. Right? Oh my god. Right, but I don't want so, that key element to amount to a bunch of gross stuff, so it's hard. Um, I just want to state that the older sister, the actress who plays her, looks a lot like Feruza Balk. She does. I thought so too. Did that occur to you independently? She's those, those shadowy eyes yeah. and, the, and, the and that sort she's of menacing. like... She's menacing. She's really creepy. You know you can't trust her. She has short black punk yeah. rock kind of hair. Yeah. Um, also in general, she and everyone in the movie has a very gay vibe and in the background, a lot of people are gay and I just feel like we could have done a whole segment just on how it's like there's like a queer level you can read into the film as well. Like like you're closeting your cannibalism, you know? Why don't you accept me for who I am, a cannibal or a lesbian? There's all sorts of social dynamics going on that are that are running into each other, which then makes the movie so fun to chew on because they're <laughs> all believable. Yeah, definitely. And also, I just we always hear the thing about how like when Americans make movies and they make really like broad, vague movies, they do it so they can be like easily shipped abroad and relatable to other foreign audiences. I feel like this movie is so specific in the culture it depicts and it's wonderful for it, right? Like I yeah. never have heard of that paint sex game before, but it totally makes sense. And like, it's brilliant in its specificity. It feels like it all could be literal and it's not some like French surrealist movie. Not that I don't love those. Yeah. That like yeah. that They're like, well, I, I was making an art movie and I thought that the scene would visually be pleasant. So I threw it in there. Like instead, it's like, well, yeah, I could see this being a hazing ritual. Right. And I learned that cows and horses in France look the same as they do right here in good old U.S. of <laughs> I oh, didn't realize that so was so comforting. <laughs> it was I, it was a doubt I didn't know. Sure, but do you, I, think I that, mean, do you think the horses would be smoking a cigarette? Or I thought that it would only be people inside horse costumes, but apparently they got real horses. <laughs> I've always seen a, what happened in the French Revolution. Right, they started I, having I, real horses. Yeah, no, that well, I, uh, the French lost to the English. I assume it had something to do with their horse costumes. Uh, Julia Ducournau clearly understands like horror tropes, and I, I talked about this a little earlier. And she also just understands movie tropes and how to subvert them and and play with them and sort of tease you for wanting a different kind of movie halfway through the movie you're watching. And there's a there's a party video where Justine is blacked out, and it's so sad and. Alexia is teasing her with the arm and Julia is so drunk and in bloodlust that she her eyes are rolled back in her head and she's reaching for the thing but just like can't quite motivate her limbs to do what they yeah. want that is totally playing with the zombie myth 
Yep. It, it's 100% doing that. It's, it's, it's her being like, oh, I'm going to have a little zombie moment in here. But these aren't zombies, but we're having a little zombie moment. It just took a uh, elaborate amount of alcohol to get her here. Yeah, also she's acting like a dog to like go back to my people behaving like animals thing. She's on her hands and knees and barking at it. Yes, yes. It's It kind of plays with yep. both. There's just like the hair throwing up scene. It right. plays with different tropes. The, the scene where the mom goes and complains about the, the meatball... Mm-hmm is totally teasing the fact that, like, audiences ex- are, are going to be like, uh, the annoying vegetarian. <laughs> like, yeah, she's fine. She can eat a fucking meatball. Um, but, like, <laughs> A, yeah, she might not be able to. And B, it's very important she does not eat a fucking meatball. Yeah. Like, at the end of the movie, you're like, please do not eat a fucking meatball. Don't eat don't eat your sister's finger. Don't eat raw salmon. Don't eat, don't eat anything. Great point, Mom. Um, now I know why you were acting so crazy about it. Your mom just always had your best interests at heart. You just didn't realize because yes. she wouldn't yes. talk to you. But realize that when real annoying vegetarian moms do that, they might be trying to protect their children from throwing up because they never developed the enzymes to digest. So yes, even exactly. Didn't didn't want to didn't want to step on that, but I I I knew that a lot of audiences would read that scene as like, ugh, fucking vegetarian mom. Anyways, uh, then another scene that's very subversive and sort of plays with horror history is the the entirety of the uh, the car trickery. Yeah, because you expect a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, oh well, we just find uh, you know a freshman we don't like and we murder him, or we go we go hunt homeless people or whatever. The typical sort of of tropes of a, of this kind of movie, but instead she's it almost lets Alexia. It's more believable because you understand why Alexia could reduce her own culpability in that death. And it makes you understand because she's like, oh, I just tricked the car into crashing. And then, oh, no, he's dying. He's not going to make it. Might as well eat him. It it would be a waste to leave the meat. Like, she's just (laughs) ameliorating her own guilt. It's also uh, upending uh, the way audiences feel because, as we all know, audiences feel that here in their car, they feel safest of all. And in this case, they were not. They were not safest of all in their cars. In fact, least safe. You're also not safe in your bed. cars. Oh, yeah. That's a great part. So, not... Not in cars or beds. That's why they say, get out of my dreams. We didn't even talk about the scene where she's just in her bed freaking out about because she thinks people are hitting hitting her, but there's nothing happening. So great. It reminds me of um, New Nightmare. In New Nightmare, there's a really great like under the sheet scene that's it's, it's very evokes childhood sort of of um, fears, and this it does a similar thing where she's sort of bagged by her own sheets. But uh, in the other scene, she wakes up next to Adrian. Adrian's been murdered by Alexia, and uh, my one complaint with the movie: did they have to bring the ski pole back as the murder implement? <laughs> You can't fucking kill somebody with a ski pole like that. She's just, I, fucking... I think he also died from being partially eaten. Yeah, I thought that was why he died. The blood loss. It may just knocked him out. You gotta poke a little hole in your food you first. You can't wake up your sister. It, She's just asleep. The ski... This, couldn't they have done better than the ski pole? One complaint in the movie. French French ski... They have the Alps. They need sharp ski poles. It's a common factoid about France. Do you see what happens, Larry? You see what happens when you fuck a stranger <laughs> in the Alps? <laughs> Is that two Big Lebowski references on? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of the reasons I love this movie is that it it's it, it doesn't seem ashamed of its horror roots and it's playing with it, but it's doing something entirely new in a way that sort of pushing into final thoughts. This is a movie is doing something entirely new that I think is going to make it uh, live on for, for decades. And I think it's going to be the sort of movie that like we still point back to the way that... Um, 
I don't know, like trouble every day. Like it doesn't matter what happens. People are still like, Hey, that Claire Denis movie is pretty fucking cool. Um, I think this movie is going to stick around in that sort of, for the people in the know, I think this movie's going to stick around in that regards because of everything we just said. Um, it's a very evocative movie. It's layered and, and it gives you sort of the fun thrills of, of what you expect out of these movies. It gives you kind of everything you need. I don't always get excited about horror movies, um, but I'm really, really enjoying the new ones that, especially the feminist new ones. Um, but what really sold me on this movie is when I started it, I just thought it was going to be about cannibalism, but it's also like a weird sociological, uh, you know, portrait of how people harm each other in large groups with hazing rituals. And that is sort of more interesting to me than cannibalism could ever be. But every level of it works. It's amazing. Um, it's great. There's, there's so much, there's so much depth and it's really about, the relationships, nothing ever feels like it's just happens to get to the next plot point, even though there are a lot of things that happen that advance the plot, they all feel like they come organically from the characters and their relationships to each other. Absolutely. Um, my only final thought is that it fucking rules. This movie's so good. It is that type of movie that's working on like 30 different levels and which is in some ways like it is talking about like family and adolescence and growth into adulthood and what that means for for women and men and sisters and brothers and all like it is it's tackling a lot of themes and i think i even missed a lot of it the first time Uh, i saw it because i was like oh it's the cannibal movie and i was excited to see the cool horror movie that everyone was talking about and like i didn't realize how deep how deep these waters were, and I don't think we even uh, got close to the bottom. So, Joey, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, we're we were so happy we got to get you back, especially on something that um, you were even more passionate about. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the matinee I've seen so many times. I've thought about it so many times, but this one I really <laughs> loved and saw recently. And there's so much to chew on in terms of like symbolism and everything like that. Can I plug a couple things? I actually have a really yep yep that's plug. yeah that's what we're getting yeah. to you. you got I got it. it. I'm all about the rituals, you know. Um, uh, yeah. So let's see. I actually I'll end on. I have a really appropriate work plug um, for this movie. Actually, that hadn't occurred to me until you brought up my job. Um, uh, but <laughs> in general, last time I wish I had plugged my Letterbox account because I write hundreds of movie reviews. I have. To, uh, 322 reviews on my letterboxd account so you should oh. follow me it's joey lee j-o-e-y-l-e-e um so that's great and then also i have to plug my twitter account at movie equations no space or, or dash or anything just um at movie equations recently i asked boots riley if my theory about um Sorry to bother you was correct and he replied with a smiley face which i think means i was right the theory is the theory is just that um, that the left eye activists um, and the mark is referencing Lisa Left Eye Lopez from TLC. Oh yeah, I think you were dead on, and I think that was a wink, yeah, a winking acknowledgement of God. Yeah, no, I mean it was. It's true that like everyone in Generation X was like, yeah, we know, but like the coworkers I saw it with did not pick up on that because they are young. So I had to tell someone. So follow me at Movie Equations. Um, and then uh, this website, which is that I'm working on at work, is not released yet, but it will be by the time this podcast airs because we're 
we're launching it in uh, mid-September, uh, and it fits up really well. Um, it's endindustrialmeat.org. Uh, no spaces are underlined, just write endindustrialmeat.org. Um, and it's basically talking about uh, the, we're asking people to pledge to cut the amount of meeting they're eating in half, replacing half of it with like sustainable, humane, grass-fed meat, and replacing the other half of the meat they used to eat with plant-based um, sources of protein, like lentils, beans, you know, whole grains, legumes, you know, um, all that, all that good stuff. So we have a lot of, um, you can meet the ranchers and find sustainable, um, good humane sources of meat that's also you know better for you raised without antibiotics um so they have a little meet the ranchers um section as well as um you know some of the environmental uh and um environmental and health reasons and industry related reasons why you should support um you know humane sustainable um, meat production methods uh with your wallet so we're asking people to pledge and there's also a lot of great research and um, resources to help you eat better. So go to endindustrialmeat.org and take the pledge. And we will put that link in the show notes. Um, I will say when you're doing a that particular plug right after a show or a movie that we talked about about cannibalism, you may want to rush up the part where you say uh, replace half the meat that you're currently eating with good humane. Humane. Yeah. Well, I, for a second, I was like, are, are you going to tell us to eat good humans? Right. And then thankfully turned around very right. quickly. This is not um, at all it's a, about eating. It's humans. Joey's humble proposal. We are. Just eat, take some of the beef you're eating, eat some sustainable, renewable people. Yes. There are too many people, but I want to be careful <laughs> not to endorse that. Um, you know, grass fed, no antibiotics, um, meat generally costs a little bit more than conventionally raised, but because you're cutting the amount you're eating in half and the the dietary guidelines say that everyone, especially men and boys, eat like twice as much meat as they need. So because you're cutting the amount of meat eating in half, you can buy more, um, slightly more expensive, um, much more sustainable, um, healthier um, meat sources because lentils are cheap. That's the other half now. Yeah part uh no that is awesome thank you again so much joey for coming on um i will definitely check that out and uh yeah i i hope you do as well peter we have two more weeks they're solo bolo shows as you've started to call them in our text chat um do you want to answer for that at all or do you want to move i on refuse um, okay, great and uh, uh, just general principle uh i will never uh take culpability for my actions and uh, i imagine I our text chat will be subpoenaed by robert mueller at some point uh, what is there's a lot in there there's nothing to do with the trump administration really it's gonna blow this whole thing Wait, wide the open all right but children I think... are gonna come get us now guys yeah yeah a uh, three a uh, three years of text conversations like they're gonna find out that we liked mother and <laughs> they're gonna get us uh and also yeah well mother mike pence is gonna think that's his wife yeah uh anyway that's why he didn't like the movie get too close yeah, to I'm home sure he saw <laughs> like, this sure. isn't about mother at all <laughs> <laughs> oh i was lied to by the mainstream media once again this is worse than mulan <laughs> uh, anyway uh, yeah, no, we have two more. Dweeb. We have two more apps. Yeah, fuck. We have two more. The family that eats together stays together. Movies, and those are Blood Diner uh, and Spider Baby. Also, uh, Blood Diner is also directed by a woman, Jackie Kong. It's the uh, lady 
Fright Night continues. Yeah, Lady Fright Night is is continuing into November, and I hope that uh, the rest of the show we get a lot more. Um, because we made that list, that list of, of women horror directors. It was yep. they were all fun choices for the show. Very excited about a lot of them. But uh, yeah, so Blood Diner and Spider Baby, which are actually both uh, both movies I watched last year for Spooktober, and I liked them a lot. Um, so I'm very excited to to jump back in a year later to talk about them with you, Petey Pie. Aww. It's gonna be so fun. What? How do you how do you want to end these? Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, stay hungry, our We Love to Watch family. Uh, uh. Stay hungry is a weird thing because you don't want to be. It's not a pleasant goodbye. Like, stay full would be much more. But I guess when I come. If they're too people, full, they won't come to us. Too busy clutching their bellies. I got to say this, though. If, since we're talking about eating people, I hope you stay hungry and don't eat. Our listeners, we need the listenership. Sweet dreams are made of meat. Good night. Right. <laughs> Good night. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch, or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment, tell us we're doing a good job only tell us we're doing a good job we're so sensitive we're sensitive boys we're soft boys and uh if you'd like to help other people if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine fine program that we produce at no cost we don't get any money for this you guys have yet to pay us anything we live and we breathe off of good reviews from itunes so if you would please go to itunes review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.